Alex, thank you so much for the time. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, no to, worries. Uh, it is great to chat with you about this series, The Water Brothers. I mean, the series itself is great. I'm glad that it's back for season five. I think is this is this the fifth the fifth season now? Yeah, yeah, season five. That's that's amazing. So, how did how did it season one come about? How did this begin? Well, the journey really began uh, soon after my brother Tyler and I um, graduated from university. We started working for the production company that we still work for today, SK Films. Um, we primarily do IMAX films, like educational science-based IMAX films that play at science centers and museums around the world. So lots of stories on wildlife and nature and science, but we really wanted to do um, documentaries no, on our own you know we were working on some no, of these okay. big uh big budget um you know these imax films but there's only so much we could so many stories we could tell in, in a single year you know each one of those films takes years and years to put out and we wanted to do a series where we'd be able to tell a lot more stories that we are passionate about and um, i mean it still takes a lot of time to put it together but at least you had to have to do some sort of series or a series of documentaries uh, that would allow us to cover a lot more topics than we would otherwise be able to do. And so it all just kind of came about, you know, also just uh, being two young filmmakers and wanting to have, travel the world and, and film wildlife. But, you know, we didn't want to just film wildlife and, and show pretty pictures. We really wanted to talk about solutions. And that's also where the journey of the Water Brothers started too, was a show about solutions, a show about the biggest environmental issues that we face in the world today, told through water. We just found that all the different stories we wanted to talk about, all the different documentary ideas we had, it always came back to water, always came back to either freshwater or oceans, or both, you know, how, how freshwater and oceans are, are interconnected mm -hmm. as well. So yeah, that, that, that's essentially it. Yeah, it's, it's that, that desire to tell environmental stories, talk about solutions, and kind of take these complex issues and then make them more accessible and uh, engaging for for audiences especially younger audiences as well you know it makes sense for you say you're talking about working with imax stuff because some of these episodes really do sort of feel cinematic but you know the 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 shots are so broad that i get the sense of of pulling back and seeing the amazing things of that nature has to offer it, it really works well it's beautifully shot too um, yeah, thanks so much. Um, that's that's definitely uh, more Tyler. You know, I do a little bit of filming, but um, uh, all the beautiful shots you see, that's Tyler. He's a really talented cinematographer and uh, excellent drone pilot. Um, I think something that's really elevated this fifth season, you know, because the fourth season came back, uh, came out all the way back in 2017. We weren't sure we were going to do another season ever, um, but we had this you know opportunity through the pandemic where we were stuck at home and we were talking to tvo they wanted to renew all the you know previous four seasons uh, we're like hey if people are still watching you want to renew you know well, maybe we do a fifth season maybe we do it all uh, shot in ontario or all shot in canada because in past seasons we had traveled all around the world we'd tell one or two kind of local stories like north america based stories and then you know four or five all around the world. So we 
we were like, okay, we can't, we can't travel as much as we used to. Why don't we do uh, all local stories? And, um, and yeah. And then, so also obviously the advancement in drone technology, just in those five years or so since the last season, uh, we just had better tools available to us. And yeah, like I said, Tyler's an, an amazing drone pilot. So I think that's kind of elevated um, like some of the shots that we have compared to past seasons, even when we still had drones, but they're just, they're better drones now. Yeah, and that's and that's so interesting. I never even would have even thought of that. That that the focus in Ontario stems out of the pandemic because that makes a lot of sense. And I that was one of the things I thought was so fascinating about these episodes is it really highlights Ontario as this incredible ecosystem that we take for granted. Uh, those of us that live here. But what was most surprising to you as you delved delved into just what's going on within the province? Well. Ontario uh, is very big. Um, I think we all kind of know that in a sense, but when you are filming, you know, six episodes that are all in Ontario, you get to cover a lot of the province and doing all those long drives reminds you like, Ontario's bigger than most countries on earth. And, you know, we have more water than most countries do, just, just Ontario alone. So there's a lot of really fascinating stories um that we could have uh told or didn't even have time to tell in a season you know there's there's definitely more we we, we could have done so just another thing that that really surprised us uh i would say is just getting to spend time up on hudson bay um, hudson and james bay you know i think a lot of people in um ontario forget that we have a huge uh, ocean coastline we have 1300 kilometers of ocean coastline in this province and it's so far away from where almost all of us live we don't always think of that um so we got to in our episode the breathing lands which was the season premiere uh we, 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 that's one of the places we take you is, is to the coast of Hudson Bay, you know, polar bears, caribou, beluga whales. And uh, I, I hope, you know, get to show the people of Ontario this incredible part of our province that uh, we often forget about. Uh, even we, for, even we don't even think about it. And we're, you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about water and the ocean. And um, yeah, that was a real treat, a real surprise for us was getting to uh, spend a lot of time there and, and see how, how incredible it is firsthand. It really is amazing to see, you know, in each of the six episodes, just this different look, this different water that is 2 billion years old, you know. Um, you've got the, the peatlands in the film, or in the, in the opening, in Breathing Lands, and, you know, the, the talking about uh, the save our soils and all and all these other, it really is a remarkable remarkably diverse ecosystem that like frankly for those of us that live on the the southern part of it we just we we take for granted or don't even know about like you said it's it's pretty wild yeah what? yeah um I, I would just say yeah that we did we did make an effort to choose really distinct subject matters you know with uh, you know, agriculture and save our soils, uh, wetlands in southern Ontario and paving over paradise, and then the story of the breathing lands, the peatlands in, in northern Ontario. Um, yeah, we, we that that's one of the goals of the whole show. One of the missions of the whole show is to show people how interconnected all these different issues are and how they impact us in our daily lives and the solutions, you know, that we can both do in our own daily lives, but, you know, 
also we'd be encouraging, you know, our governments and, and, you know, larger companies to, to, to do who oftentimes have more power to create change when it comes to, to water. So, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I was wondering, um, what in your perspective though, is you talk about your connectedness that we have to our environments. Is there something in particular that you wish that audience was, would really understand about our relationship to the natural world and water and soil? Well, I mean, there's, there's definitely a lot of things um, we could talk about there, but um, I would say, I mean, when it comes to like solutions and, and things you can do, I would say, uh, uh, food purchasing decisions can in diet can have like a huge impact on water and uh and the environment um you know so whether it's you know we've done a lot of episodes in the past on seafood so you know that's one of the most powerful connections we have to the ocean you know yes we look at the ocean we might go on a vacation we might go swimming into the ocean but like a lot of, like for many of us in Canada, like the most direct way we can influence the health of the ocean is through the seafood we buy and the choices we make that can be oftentimes, or the choices we don't make to maybe say, I don't want this particular type of seafood because I know that it causes damage to the ocean. Um, and that goes the same for all types of food. So, you know, we don't go around saying, don't do this or don't do that when it comes to um food purchasing decisions or you have to fit into this type of category of diet or whatever we just try and inform people you know that how how much it matters or how connected we are um through those those daily actions and then even with um and ep our episodes we do about plastics like so much of the single-use disposal plastic we create is from the food we're buying and things we're getting you know in our daily lives so yeah it it does make a difference, um, you know, when, when we choose to use reusable containers for our drinks and our food. Um, you know, it's great to see more types of bans and restrictions coming on certain types of plastic. And I think it's going to be a big adjustment and learning curve in terms of reducing plastic waste, uh, single use to, uh, plastic waste. We go into a lot of that in our episode, The Great Plastic Lakes. But yeah, I would say like it just thinking about food and diet and the purchases you make, whether it's through plastic uh, you, you create and uh, you know, the, the seafood you buy or just the decisions you make at the grocery store and restaurant, those things are probably one of the most powerful decisions you make on a daily basis when it comes to the health of water, uh, our oceans and the environment. Well, and, and even, I think, I think it's the save our soils episode, but you talk about even the methane and, uh, and purchases of the way that beef is cared for. It's not that, Oh, there was a line. It's not the cow; it's the how. Talking about yeah. how, how these, how uh, how cows are cared for and whatnot. Um, but again, talking about the way that we interact with, uh, with our food purchases and whatnot, and, and how we care for them before they get there, yeah. mm -hmm. uh, is is fascinating. It really is. Um, I, forgive my naivety. I just I just wanted to ask you about the importance of carbon <laughs> because i feel like carbon comes up a lot in this film we talk about the soils retaining it and whatnot um but I'll, I'll be honest i just don't know a lot about our relationship to carbon what is it about uh that that needed to be emphasized so heavily in this particular series um well there's there's 
a lot of different ways our relationship with carbon. Well, I mean, first of all, we're mostly made up of a lot of us right. is carbon and water. Uh, you know, our bodies can be 60 to 70% water. Uh, and then a lot of the, the non-water stuff is carbon. So, and then, you know, there, there's the, that personal relationship uh, with carbon. And then, you know, there's a story of fossil fuels. So the carbon that we're digging up that is not part of the carbon cycle and we're putting it into the carbon cycle, or at least it's, we're, it's going from a form where it was stored underground for a long, long time and basically kind of inert or, you know, not going anywhere, not part of the atmosphere, not being put into the atmosphere. And there's that whole story. And then there's the, the actual carbon cycle in terms of, you know, carbon moving from the atmosphere, getting sequestered into the ocean or getting sequestered in peatlands and soils and the, so and the powerful role of soils in storing carbon. You know, we often think of, yeah. you know, a forest, like planting a tree as, as uh, this powerful way to store carbon. But when in reality, it, you know, uh, it's the soil that that holds more of the carbon um, than than the trees above it, and that's sort of one of the big stories of both our episode "Save Our Soils" and then the breathing lands, which mm -hmm. is a story of peatlands, which is kind of a story of it's a story about wetlands, but also about soils as well. Um, so I, I think one of the um, oh yeah, there's a theme of, of this season when it comes to carbon. It's definitely the story of 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 the role of water and soils working together to store carbon and that delicate balance that we can, we've really messed up all around the world through the conversion of natural ecosystems into farmland. And then once it's farmland, the, the farming, the agricultural practices that uh, can cause more carbon to be released from the soil and actually make it harder for that soil to reabsorb carbon back into it. Um, and yeah, so that that is a that is a big big theme of it, and I think I hopefully that's that's something that's going to really surprise people and fascinate people is this incredible relationship between the health of our soils and you know the health of the atmosphere and the health of the, the, the carbon cycle and really the whole planet. Yeah, that was something that I'd never considered, just and uh, and and was totally. Thank you for answering that so so openly because I just I, as a I don't, in general, understand that relationship as as well as I should or or want to. Um, I know, Alex. I know we're running out of time, but um, there's some conversations in this series too about about government policies and the sorts of things we should be encouraging that our government to take action for. But it's such a daunting process because, like you said, there's so many different ways that we're polluting our waters and that we're we're dealing with the soil. What sorts of things would, should we be challenging uh, the powers that be with at this time? Uh, well, there's <laughs> certainly so there's a countless lot. one. Yeah, uh, I will, I'll, I'll try and tackle it, uh, you know, <laughs> without going on forever. Um, but for our episode, the breathing lands, uh, I would say um, it's something that needs to be considered is how much carbon gets released when we dig up peatlands. Um, there's not really a, a really strong understanding yet of how much, we know it's a lot, but you know, how much carbon is getting released when you uh, even not only build a mine, say up, up in, in peatlands uh, in the North, um, but even just like, you know, doing uh, testing, like with the, the drill holes, when they're just trying to figure out what the mineral find is under there. You know, there's no accounting process for that. So getting better at um, 
holding, whether it's a mining company or the oil and gas industry, uh, you know, having them be more accountable for the carbon that they release into the atmosphere is a big one, but also just, you know, without getting too into like pointing fingers, it's just more about we got to protect more of the planet. That's a big theme of the breathing lands. Like, you know, Canada is committed to protecting 25%, you know, by 2025, 25% of our lands and waters, you know, by 2025 and 30 by 30. And then there's a movement to go 50 by 50, you know, because a lot of the leading, you know, scientists from many different fields, uh, but who work in like conservation, ecology, biology, uh, you know, are saying that, you know, to to avoid a lot of the worst, you know, climate change scenarios and uh, biodiversity loss scenarios, you know, we're often, it's often said we're living in the midst of a six mass extinction based on the current extinction rate. We need to protect 50% of the planet, you know, 50% has to basically be wild. Uh, you know, we need to keep it wild for us to live in harmony with nature. So that's a big theme of the breathing lands is just we've got to protect more areas. And of course, you're going to have to make decisions on which areas you protect. And uh, it just seems that peatlands are, are, are no brainer because they store five times as much carbon as the equivalent area in the Amazon rainforest. So if we're going to say, hey, we should protect the Amazon for the benefit of the climate. Actually, there's a better argument to be made to protect peatlands even more than the Amazon. If we're just strictly talking about carbon, of course, you know, an, Am uh, you know, an Amazonian rainforest is going to have a lot more biodiversity, a lot more different types of species. But from a carbon standpoint, that's really important. Uh, when it comes to plastics, um, I think it, we, we need to start eliminating the most harmful types of single-use plastics. I think that only government is able to um to do that i think we're inundated with all sorts of single-use plastics in our daily lives that are not necessary um and uh, yeah it, it's good to see some of these bans come into place um of course there's going to be growing pains with any any type of thing where government's trying to regulate you know consumer items like that and, and packaging and all these things but i think government working together with industry um there's a lot of potential there so there's and there's a lot to be done a lot being done but a lot more that can be done um when it comes to soils um i think it's just more support for government can do more to support farmers as they transition to more sustainable agricultural techniques um again that can help store carbon uh through farming um so without going into all the different ways that farmers you got to watch the episode um but yeah, no, there's, there's a lot governments can be doing to support farmers because to change their techniques, say to go to a no-till system for growing corn, that's a big investment for a farmer that they're probably not going to make without some, some support. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of things farmers can do for the benefit of biodiversity, for the benefit of the climate, um, for the benefit of creating, uh, growing healthy foods um, that they do deserve uh, support from government to, to to transition to some of these more sustainable techniques. Um, yeah, and then when it comes to, I guess, the world's oldest water, uh, that episode, that was a bit more of a science-focused episode, but really it's a celebration of groundwater. And yeah, I think governments can do a lot to protect our groundwater resources um, and, and, uh, and, and do more to study how much groundwater we have. Again, it's kind of you know, kind of like the peatlands and knowing how much carbon's up there. 
for groundwater, we need to get a much better um, sense of, you know, how much groundwater do we have? How fast is it being depleted? Uh, which uh, big sources of groundwater are vulnerable to pollution? And then we do our big episode on, you know, when it comes to chemicals and chemical regulation are, are is our episode, the forever chemicals. That's about PFAS, um, floral alkyl substances, uh, which is a group of thousands and thousands of chemicals that we use in our daily lives. We uh, we don't know it, but whether it's, you know, nonstick pans, uh, any type of waterproof clothing, makeup, um, cosmetics, uh, all this, almost all of it has PFAS in it. And um, again, you kind of have to watch the episode to learn what that's about, but that's going to take a lot of um, uh, government uh, leadership uh, to, to really... Uh, start actually regulating that as a class of chemicals. Health Canada has already announced plans to do that. Um, instead of trying to regulate the thousands upon thousands of ke chemicals that fall under PFAS individually, there needs to be a, a regulating them as a class. So anything is PFAS, it should be listed as toxic and we need to get PFAS out of as many products uh, as possible. They should really only be used for essential essential items um like you know industrial applications i don't think we need as much pfas in our daily lives you know in, in our non-stick cookware definitely shouldn't be on kids clothing or cosmetics uh you know things that we're applying directly to our skin and providing this direct pathway you know not only into our own bodies but as we explained in the episode how how it's building up in our water and how it never goes away and, and the problems associated with that. So that's a big one for government to take leadership on the forever chemicals. I really appreciate that. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much. Honestly, Alex, the series is great. And I really do appreciate the time to chat with you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it was great to chat. Absolutely. And it's, it's available on TVO, but when, when does it launch? Well, it, you can watch all the episodes on the TVO Docs YouTube page already. You can watch the full season. And right now it's playing, if you want to watch it on TVO, the channel, it's playing uh, Thursdays at 9 p.m. and Sundays at 7 p.m. for the next, well, five more weeks. The first episode came out last week. But for a lot of people watching it on YouTube or through our website, thewaterbrothers.ca, um, that's, that's easier for a lot of people these days. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Thanks.